What is the impact of rising interest rates on savers and borrowers? Welcome to BNP Paribas Wealth Management's weekly podcast. I'm Charlotte de Capoisson. Prior to this year, we were in a period of low or even negative interest rates that extended many years following the great financial crisis. This was good news for borrowers, but bad news for savers. The post-coronavirus surge in inflation has changed all this. Today, central banks are increasing short-term interest rates, while long-term interest rates in the form of bond yields have risen sharply. This is clearly tilting the playing field away from borrowers and back towards savers. My guest today is Edmund Shing, Global Chief Investment Officer of BNP Paribas Wealth Management. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Charlotte. Eben, why are central banks forced to raise interest rates when inflation goes up? What is the job of central banks? One of their main jobs is to keep the rate of inflation under control. Typically, that means around or even under a specific inflation target, which for the US Federal Reserve, for the Bank of England, or even the ECB is around 2%. When inflation is around or below 2%, no problem. The bank doesn't need to do anything. However, when, like today, inflation rates are far, far above the 2% target, they have to do something to bring inflation back down because otherwise it can cause bigger economic problems down the line. So the role of central banks at a time when inflation is high is basically to increase interest rates, which increases the cost of money. So people who want to borrow money have to pay more to borrow money. What that effectively does, indirectly, it slows down the economy, it slows down demand in the economy. And by slowing down demand in the economy, you should eventually bring prices down. And that, remember, is what inflation is. Inflation is simply an aggregated change in prices. So if you bring prices down, that inflation rate comes down. And that is the goal of central banks at a time like this when inflation is high. What does all this mean for savers, such as pensioners and borrowers, for, people, for example, people buying a property? Well, clearly, if the cost of money goes up, it's good for those who've got money, savers, so typically older people, because they've had more time to accumulate money and savings over their lifetimes, and often pensioners even. What we can argue is that the last 10 years has been a very poor time for savers on average because interest rates have been so low. So keeping cash in the bank has not really brought you very much in the way of interest rates. That is now changing with central banks raising interest rates. The interest rate you can get on a deposit in a bank is also rising. So that is better news for savers after many years of what we would call financial repression. That means really not giving anything in the way of decent interest rates to savers. Obviously, on the other hand, while there are winners, there are losers. The winners are the savers, the losers are the borrowers. The biggest borrowers are mortgage borrowers, people who borrow money to buy a house, particularly those who in countries where the interest rates for mortgages tend to be based on shorter term interest rates, such as variable rates or even maybe a two year rate, as opposed to a country like France, where the interest rate for mortgages is based on a fixed 20 or even 30 year rate. So that changes less. But in countries like the UK or Spain, as two examples, where mortgage interest rates are much more closely tied to bank base rates, the shift up in bank base rates is going to have a bigger impact and is going to hurt borrowers because it means they can afford less when they buy a house because the repayments are getting more expensive. So we've talked about individuals, but what, what kind of companies are actually benefiting from rising interest rates? 
Well, this is a tricky one. In theory, banks, retail banks should benefit. One of the main ways that they are supposed to make money is by making money on what we call the interest rate spread. So that is the gap between how much they pay savers to attract deposits on the one hand to get the money in the door and then how much they charge companies and borrowers and individual borrowers to borrow the money. That's typically a higher interest rate than you get for deposits. And it's the spread between the lending rate and the deposit rate So in other words, the rate that borrowers have to pay and the rate that savers attract, the difference is what banks make as what we call a net interest margin. And that's one of the main ways that retail banks make money. So clearly when interest rates go up, banks tend to make more money because as you might expect, mortgage borrowers see their mortgage costs go up pretty much immediately. Whereas the rates for savers do go up, but maybe not by as much or not as quickly as for borrowers. So for a period of time, at least, banks can make more money than usual from this difference between borrowing and saving. How long will the policy tightening cycle last, in your view? Well, probably quite a while, in the sense that even when the Federal Reserve in the US stops raising, which which we think could well be as soon as December this year, they won't necessarily rush to cut rates again. Typically, in the past, the US Federal Reserve has started to reduce their interest rates six months after the peak in the cycle. So another six months after the last time they raise rates, they really start cutting. We don't think it's going to be as quick as that this time around because inflation is so high. In particular, wage inflation is quite high and the Federal Reserve will want to be absolutely sure that wage inflation comes back down to a more normalized level. And that could take some time. So at the moment, We think that even if the US Federal Reserve stops raising interest rates or raises interest rates for the last time in this cycle in December, that they will not be cutting interest rates before, let's say, the end of next year. So quite a long cycle. In Europe, if we think about the ECB, we expect interest rates to continue to rise into next year, not to peak until March or April of next year. And again, for similar reasons to the US, we don't expect to see the ECB cutting their reference interest rate anytime soon. Again, thinking about sometime in 2024 when that might happen. So once again, these cycles may actually last a bit longer, even if they don't continue raising rates. They certainly won't be thinking of cutting rates for really quite some time because inflation rates really do need to get much closer to the 2% target levels that I mentioned before. And in particular, wage inflation, they have to be absolutely sure that this wage inflation is back under control. You mentioned financial repression earlier. Could you give a full definition of this? And secondly, is it a good or a bad thing for financial markets? Well, financial repression refers to a situation where the deposit rates or the rates that savers can earn remains below the rate of inflation. So in other words, what we call a negative real rate of interest. Yeah, That's like saying, okay, if inflation is 4%, but I can only get 3% on my deposit in a bank, my real rate of interest is actually minus one because every year my purchasing power diminishes by 4%, which is the rate of inflation. And I'm only growing my money at three, so I'm actually losing one. Financial repression is a state of affairs where this is engineered by central banks to be the case for a long period of time, just as as we saw after the great financial crisis of 2008 until quite recently, for over 10 years, we saw very, very low interest rates from central banks, which were effectively below the already low rates of inflation. So what you could earn as a saver was a negative real rate. You could not earn a positive real rate because central banks were not allowing that. 
That's what financial repression is. And it tends to be very good for borrowers because borrowing rates are kept artificially low. Bad for savers because their savings rates are kept artificially low. It actually tends to be quite good news for financial markets because what it does do is it forces savers to look elsewhere for things to do with the money to earn a higher rate of interest than they can get in the bank. That is sort of part of the reason for financial repression, to get people to invest in more productive assets than just leaving their money in a deposit in a bank. And in this context, what should investors be doing then? Should they be changing their portfolio allocation or should they be focusing on specific asset classes or specific geographies to ride out this period of higher interest rates? Well, I think as a saver, the good news is you have many more options today than you would have done even 12 months ago. You have many more places you can put your money and earn what I would call a decent rate of interest. To give you an example, if you look at the world of corporate bonds, so you're, you're lending money to corporate borrowers, companies. Now, in Europe, you can lend your money via corporate bonds to investment, what we call investment grade companies, so pretty high quality companies, and you can still earn four or four and a half percent in euros. You can do the same thing in the US, lend your money to US investment grade companies, and you can earn 6%, an even higher rate of interest. So certainly when we look at the corporate bond market today, lending money to corporate to companies, you can actually earn a much better rate of interest than you would have done quite recently. So that is quite attractive to us. We particularly like, in this case, US investment grade corporates because of the near 6% rate of interest you can get today, which is the highest you, you can get from this asset class since 2008. So it's been a long time since we've seen corporate bond yields for investment grade this high, particularly in the US. Otherwise, you could look to the UK for interesting reasons. Obviously, there's been quite a bit of volatility in the UK of late around the mini budget, but that does also throw up opportunities. The 10-year bond yield in the UK is still around 4%, and that could be seen as quite attractive because you're buying a bond yielding 4% in the currency, which today is very weak, which, but which we think could strengthen over the medium term. So you could make some money, not only from the yield on the bond itself, but also you could also maybe make some capital gain from the currency as well. Ed Mishing, thank you very much. And a big thank you to our audience for tuning in. If you wish to receive our audio content every week, then please like, share and subscribe to our podcast channel by searching for BNP Paribas Wealth on the podcast provider of your choice, including Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict and Spotify. So until next time, goodbye.